This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Hey, y'all, and welcome to my podcast, Pain in the Pod. Well, today I'm so excited for my guest. You might know Heather McDonald from her stand-up comedy specials or from her years as a writer and performer on Chelsea Lately, or you might know her from her hilarious books or her amazing podcast, Juicy Scoop. Listen, there are some podcasts I've listened to from day one, and I never miss an episode, and Juicy Scoop is one of those. The podcast is so funny and different every week, whether she has a guest or she's just talking about her life. I would highly recommend it, and I would also recommend seeing Heather live that I will be doing soon here in D.C. in a couple of weeks. So welcome to the podcast, Heather. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to come out to D.C. I know. So, Heather, your podcast is called Juicy Scoop because it is, in fact, very juicy. So what made you decide to start the podcast after all the years of being on TV and being a stand-up comedian? What made you veer over into the podcast world? Well, when I was doing uh, Chelsea Lately, which I wrote and produced and was appearing on it, as you stated, for the entire run, which for people that don't know, it ran for seven and a half years. It started in 2007 and went till 2014. Um, After that, I got jobs right away. I got a couple shows on TLC that didn't last past the first season. And so when things kind of started to dry up, except for the standup, I was, I was at a, um, uh, I was doing standup in Texas and I was in the small green room and I saw a poster of Tom Segura. And I said, oh, that's Tom Segura. I'm like, he's a really popular podcast. And the guy goes, yeah, he'd come in here on a Tuesday night and make 10 grand. And so the next day I said, I called my managers and I said, I need to start a podcast. So that was like (laughs) three and a half years ago. And um, all the podcasts that I'd been on as a guest prior to that time, I never even listened to it because I didn't even know how to listen to it. I just would like retweet it and do whatever they asked me to do to promote it on social media. But I didn't. I didn't even listen back to it, to be honest. So I went to a couple of places, um, big companies, and went with Podcast One because the one company was like, well, we'll do a pilot. And Podcast One was like, we'll put you on in two weeks. And I go, yeah, I just want that discipline of like doing something every week if I'm not working on a TV show. It's just hard to go from, you know, that much free time. So I, um, I used to do this thing in, in college and high school where I'd get a paperback and I would not look at the grade for like a couple of days. Like I would... So I wasn't checking if anyone was even listening. Like I, and they're like, no, people are listening. You're doing really well. Now you're starting to get ads. And so that's kind of why I started to do it. And I really just did it because everybody I knew that was doing it, especially at podcast one, weren't making any money. So I didn't expect to make any money. I just thought this will get people to go to my standup shows. And then as my success grew and I talked to other people, I, I realized, no, you can make money. You just have to be in the right situation and know what you're doing. But I, I really enjoyed it. I never got the kind of response from my two best-selling books or my stand-up special or Chelsea Lately like I do from the podcast, from the fans. So I think it's been just the best thing ever that's ever happened to my whole career is this podcast. Well, it's hugely, hugely successful and popular. So I find it interesting that like right away you weren't looking at the numbers or to see if it was rating well or what's that about not looking at the paper when you get it back? 
I don't know. <laughs> it's also the same thing like when I do something on television, even though it's DVR or whatever, I, I don't run home to watch it. Sometimes I never watch it. I, I don't know. And so that's what I also thought. I thought the first time the producer sent me the podcast to listen back and make any edits or whatever, I was like, oh, am I going to hate my voice? And it, it, for the first time, it was the opposite. I kind of really liked hearing myself. I didn't, my voice didn't irritate myself. I'd like laugh back at it. And I was kind of like, oh, Heather, like, this is good. Like, that was really good. I mean, once in a while, I'll, I'll say, shut up, you know, Heather, you said that twice, or you said, um, or whatever. But most of the time, I'm like, it's almost like the, the least critical that I am of myself is, is listening to this podcast. So that's good for being an artist. And, you know, again, not being so critical of yourself. Like, I actually think, I'm really good at it. And uh, so that's why I've continued. And then it, it grew to twice a week. And, um, and when I started doing it twice a week, at first, I really regretted it. And I, I don't know if I can recommend it to other podcasters to go twice a week, because once you start, it's really hard to go back. So for a long time, that was sort of just in vain. And it just created more work for myself. But now it's worked out that I have it down. I've got Kasha who works with me as, you know, really kind of helping me produce and put it together. And, and I have more of a routine, but it is a full-time job. Like that's the thing. It, it really takes up all of my time. So by choosing to like really make the podcast successful along with my standup, I'm not thinking about other TV shows and stuff to pitch. I'm just not, there's just not enough time in the day. And this is the priority. This is what is making the income. This is what's getting me known. This is what people are responding to. So I'm just putting all my focus into this. Yeah. It seems this would be a full-time job because you also have Patreon to do all of those plus mm -hmm. the stand-up. I mean, it seems like a full-time job and a half, really. Yeah. I mean, my stand-up, I love doing stand-up. And I did feel like last year there might've been a, a problem with the marketing of it because I was doing both stand-up shows and then a live Juicy Scoop. And then people would be like, which one should I go to? And I was like, wait, I'm kind of splitting myself because, you know, then people would, oh, well, if you, if you don't listen to Housewives, just go to the stand-up. And I'm like, no, the, the live Juicy Scoop is a lot more than that. I have photos up and all this stuff. So kind of going forward, like the shows you're going to see in D.C., they are stand-up. And you do not need to listen to the podcast. You don't need to know of any TV shows. I talk about my marriage, kids, you know, some pop culture stuff, some impressions. But like every person that's never heard of me loves my stand-up, including straight men. So um, <laughs> that's the one thing that I was, when people say, is it hard to be a female comic? That's what it's kind of, I've realized in about in the last six months of why it's hard. It's hard because women will say, I had to drag my husband and then he loved it. So I'm almost like having to convince people that a straight man will like a female comic because so many female comics right now, men feel they're going to male bash or be super liberal or, you know, just don't like the ones that are have a much higher status than I. And if a man said to his wife, I got tickets to Chris Rock Saturday night, she'd be like, great. I'm going to get my hair done. Like, let's have a fun night out. And yeah. she's so happy to go on a date. But why is it that a woman feels like she has to drag her husband to my show? So more and more husbands are coming and loving it, liking it. And I'm kind of pushing that because I'm like, and then at the end of my, I do impressions throughout my whole show, working them into stories. And then like when you come to the DC show at the uh, Arlington Draft House on January 17th and 18th, then at the end, I just say, now I'm going to do like rapid fire impressions. And you guys tell me, like I kind of improv a situation where I'm like, okay, I'm going to be Erica Jane. What's the situation? And someone's like, 
um, Mr. Girardi forgot to fuel up the plane or whatever. And then I, so it's fresh for me and it's kind of interactive and it's that kind of parts of the podcast that people love the most, which are like the impressions and all that. And then I can still, I can service more people with a, with a show that everyone likes. So I'm still doing like a live one in New York, but that's what I'm kind of focusing on because I do want to do another special. So I really want to focus on like getting that perfect hour together too. Well, I'll tell you that um, I think about a year and a half ago, my friend and I went to your live Juicy Scoop in New York City and Uh Dorinda was there. Yes. I think it was her birthday and she was leaving to go or maybe it was John's birthday. It was John's John's birthday. So she... See that that I'll tell you about the stress of what what's about those shows, okay? So I booked Dorinda and then she calls me like that day and said, I thought it started at seven, you know, and I provide a car, which is another so when I would do Chelsea Lately, I'm basically doing Chelsea Lately, you know, Juicy Scoop by myself. Okay. I have to book it, I have to get them car service, I have to all this stuff. And it, it's a lot. It's it's really a lot of work and it's satisfying, but it was extremely stressful. And the stress would come from stuff like that. And then she called and goes, Heather, you told me it was at seven. I got to go to John's birthday. And I'm like, okay, well, we will start right at eight. And normally I would have her come in the second half of the show, but I had to have her come in the first half. Right. You know, so then I had to change everything around. And that's not her fault, but that's just another one of those things that like, I'm not even home. I'm on the road. You know, I have to deal with audio, visual, all this kind of thing. Like I'm basically doing like a Carol Burnett one woman show every week. And I was like, this is just really hard. So I love having like the high profile guests too, but I also, I don't promote them now. I, they just, I know that in the end I'll have someone great, but in case they fall out, which they can do, especially these reality stars that are suddenly famous and they're not professional actors or comedians. So it can be, you know, being totally frank, it, it's pain in the ass. I'd rather just do the impression of them and like not fucking have. <laughs> of all the podcasters I've talked to, I feel like a lot of them have said the same thing that the podcasting part is so great, but the worst part is the guests in in that they flake or at the last mm-hmm. minute they said they were going to come on and then you're all set up and then they don't come. And I know a week or two ago you had booked Caroline from Below Deck and you were talking for a while in your podcast and you said, if you're wondering why I'm talking so much, it's because we had a guest that didn't show up. Right. So, so I, I hear that a lot about the guests canceling. How, how often have you had that happen? Not that often, but what I, what I do love and why when I started the podcast, they said, oh, do you want to have a partner? And I go, no, I don't because – I've done sketch improv and I've done all that. And I like stand up because I only have to depend on myself. So if I'm going to do a podcast, I'm going to do one where it just is myself. So I don't have to worry about if my partner gets pregnant, if they fall ill, if they get a TV series, then how do we do all that? Like, I just was like, no, let me do it myself. And I've been on Wendy Williams a lot. And I, I really like the Wendy Williams model as far as she just does the hot topics by herself. And so I'm like this way, if someone flakes, I can do a show by myself. So when Caroline did flake. I wasn't like at a loss at all. I mean, sometimes that sometimes my show's going too long. Like tomorrow's show, I have this Jehovah's Witness on, but there's so much to cover from the two week vacation that I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just put most of it on Patreon because, you know, there's almost too much to discuss. So it's very rare that I don't have something to to talk about. And but you do worry about it as a writer. You always think you're going to run out of stuff, and fortunately, I don't. Somehow, it's just oh, something falls in my lap or some juicy article or suddenly I remember a story I haven't shared. So 
you know, that does happen. Um, there's so many podcasts and sometimes people say yes. And then they realize two people are listening and they don't want to go. Or if there are a star and they're really doing real press, you will be at the bottom of the list because I'm not, you know, Kathy Lee and Hoda. Um, but what's been great is I have several high profile publicists that know that being on my show has really helped their guests be known, look in a great light, sell their own books. So we have a lot of people that now get pitched to us that then Kasha follows up on and a lot that we turn down because someone that has like a HGTV show type of thing, unless there's like a real juicy story behind it, like she divorced her husband while working on a flipping a house. Like it's not, that's just not my audience. So it's not like I'm a such a talk show that I just have anyone that's got something to pitch. It's got to be juicy. And so sometimes we'll work back and be like, okay, we'll, we'll plug your thing. But does she have a juicy story about Hollywood, her life, something, someone that she's willing to talk about, or even if she won't say the name, like, because that's what it is. When I try to explain juicy stuff, because it is broad, I go, you know, yeah, it's just anything juicy. So that's either housewives, a murder that happened, something in my own life, something that's going on, you know, in pop culture, but it has to be juicy. And of course, it's non-political, which can be tricky too. being always choosing to be so non-political, you know, like I just went to go see Vice and it was great. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to probably have to preference it by saying just know that it's a it's a liberal movie. It's a definitely not a flattering light of him. So if you've loved Dick Cheney your whole life, you probably shouldn't go see it. (laughs) (laughs) But if you want to see a movie that's really cleverly done and the best acting you've ever seen, I mean, Christian Bale as Dick Cheney, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. So like for me as an actor, that's, you know, that's why I'm going to go see that movie. But I'm like, literally, oh, they're going to, that's going to start some political talk on my pages. And that's the fact that I've been able to be in a place where people don't even know where I stand politically in this climate makes me extremely happy because it's just not worth it. And and my show is an escape from everything and that you can be friends with someone on the page or you can be friends with someone and both talk about Juicy Scoop and you will not be at each other's throats if one is super liberal and one is super to the right, you know? Yeah, I think that what you were saying before about when a guest comes on, it has to be something juicy. I mean, the story about your serial sister is by far one of the juiciest stories ever. Yes. And so I would recommend for my listeners, if they're going to go back, you know, to Heather's because you do have a lot of content, but if you wanted to go back and just hear a really, really good story, listening to that. You can go back either through Stitcher or through Patreon. Okay. Because that because it was so long ago. Yeah. But I did put it all together, like on a couple episodes that you can get through Patreon. And the way I did it was I was like going through the stuff with my sister and she was very much like had threatened to say all these lies about us. And I'm like, well, I have a platform and I'm just going to tell my story and it's a really juicy story and I haven't shared it in my books and I haven't shared it anywhere. And at that time, I just had the show on Thursday. So every Thursday that I'd wake up because it would be loaded at midnight, I'd wake up and I'd be like, just like heart in my throat. Oh my God, what's going to happen today with this portion that I talked about? Like when are people going to start to say I'm horrible that I'm sharing this? And it was the complete opposite. And that's when I realized you know what? Tell your story. And in this Me Too movement and the R. Kelly and the Harvey Weinstein and whatever, it's like, tell your story. It's your story to tell. Why keep the secrets of people that treated you horribly? Why? Tell it. Yeah. You know, and and I think that was like the, the most free thing. And then also having a difficult sibling as an adult 
is something that I feel like throughout the Donahue's and Oprah's, nobody really touched upon. And that was also really interesting. And that a very common denominator was large Catholic families. 80% of the people that wrote me that could relate came from a larger Catholic family. So I thought that's really interesting too, like that forgiving and the prodigal son and that whole type of thing and how your parents would then put so much more energy in the bad one and you've got to put up with it and the guilt and all of that was just so interesting. And basically I gave people permission to dump that dysfunctional sibling. You're an adult, you have your own kids and husband or whatever your situation is. You don't have to be terrorized by your your 50 year old sibling anymore. Let it go. And so for me, I could have gone to therapy and had one person tell me that, but instead (laughs) I had, you know, thousands and thousands of people telling me that I'm okay and I'm not a bad person. It was really something completely unexpected. And Patreon, of which I'm a triple scoop member of Patreon, you. you told the story of a similar story. You have a serial brother as well. Yes. And that also just blew my mind, that story. So I'm the same way. I like a good story. And it doesn't have to necessarily be about a celebrity. I just like a good story. And whenever I have any friends that'll say, oh, I've got this crazy brother that you know shows up every two weeks, sleeps on my couch, I'm like, he's 55 years old. Like, what are you talking about? And so I just like a good story. So that's why your podcast is Juicy Scoop, but it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't only have to be Bravo related or celebrity related. You get, right. you get great stories from your fans. Some of them are just mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing too. Like, you know, I was just in Jackson Hall and this other family was like hanging out with us kind of as we were eating this like casual food and playing pool. And it was three sisters and I just start asking a couple questions. And before I know it, I get the juiciest story ever about their parents, about affairs and remarriages and getting back together. And the one girl story about her ex-husband. And, and I was like, wow, I and I, I did kind of pitch the show once, but it's almost like I'm like the Long Island medium that I just go into any place <laughs> and I can get a juicy story out of you. It's not even something I'm trying to do. I'll get in the car with someone who's driving me back from the airport to my room that just works at the comedy club, some kid. And I'll start, oh, you know, did you grow up here? What up? Next thing I know, his mom left his dad for another woman. And the dad's now longer involved, but he was an alcoholic. Like, it just, I'm like, this is amazing. So it's like everybody has a juicy story. And I think it kind of takes the shame out of it, too, because no one has a perfect family. And if you've got a perfect family, then you have a complex about having a perfect family. So it's just, (laughs) yeah, it just kind of makes people all feel like, okay, my situation isn't so weird. And even though my situation is weird, it's interesting. It's just interesting. I'm just a curious person. So I think it's like, that makes a good host too. If if you're truly curious, if you're not curious, then you're just, (laughs) I guess I went, I pitched a show and I was in, in one of the networks and the woman goes, was talking about the Kardashians and she goes, they're not curious people. So we had difficulty with the show that they did. And I was like, yeah, you're right. They're not like, they don't really. Right. So there's those people that just, they, they still fulfill a huge entertainment factor to the world, you know, eating salads and watching stuff and (laughs) they're never going away and they're super successful and they have all their babies. And I think Chris is an incredible mother for, creating this world where everybody stays close and works together. I think every mother would want that. But at the same time, it's like, okay, not everybody can do what everybody does. Just because you have a huge following doesn't mean, even on social media, just because you have a huge following on social media, doesn't mean anyone's going to watch your TV show or listen to your podcast. They just like to see you in bikinis, you know? 
And then the same thing with me. The reason I didn't know that my podcast was doing well is because I wasn't seeing any reflection in my social media. And then I realized, oh, there's this whole audience of podcast people that aren't necessarily on social media at all. That just listen to the podcast. They don't write you, but that's but they're huge fans and they're super loyal. But you're probably going to not never know who they are. It's just interesting. We have all these different mediums and how to get your voice out. So in that respect, I think it could not be a better time to be an entertainer because you can do a YouTube channel, you can do all these things. And I may not be on TV. And for someone who still watches TV, I'd like to be on TV. But at the same time, I just go, you know, if this is it, like, it's amazing. And the, the audience is so great and smart and loyal. And I just love hearing from them. So as long as I go on this path and continue being creative every day, I'm very, very happy. You mentioned earlier about when you first started and you went to a big podcast company. I think it was Podcast One. Podcast One, yeah. Yeah. And so all that went down, and my listeners may not know about what went down, but the the gist of it is, is that the head of Podcast One very blatantly sexually harassed you and it was on tape. And you just asked to leave and they let you leave, but you did speak out against it and you did play the tape. He was very difficult about letting me leave. He said I couldn't do a podcast anywhere else. And it was extremely stressful because I felt I felt like that scene in the um, made for TV movie about Tina Turner, where she's like, I just want my name. I just want to keep the Turner name when she's divorcing Ike. I was like, I just want my juicy scoop. Like at that time, I was making no money on the podcast, but that was the only thing that was getting people to know who I was because, you know, I wasn't on TV. I I didn't have the Chelsea Lately way to say, come to see me. So I was like, well, can I just do it for my house? And he would threaten to sue those people that were putting me on the server. So it was, we had to hire an attorney. We had to go through all this other stuff. And finally it was a clean break and I started at another company. And then um, not until I heard the tapes of grabbing by the pussy I was talking with a friend about that and I go, well, I have sexual harassment on tape as well. And I go, but I wonder how people would react to that because I'm a edgy comedian, you know, maybe a edgy female comedian can't be sexually harassed. I don't know. Right. And my friend goes, why don't you just play it and see what people think? So I played it and then everybody was like, oh my God, your whole voice changed when he walked into the room and things that I didn't even notice that happens when you're in a intimidating work situation, whether it's sexual harassment or maybe it isn't sexual harassment. Maybe it's just bullying or just you're uncomfortable working with someone like, but I mean, this was a sexual nature also very intimidated by him. And so then that day that he made the comments about my boobs and all this stuff, cause I was doing an ad and he knew it was being taped. So it wasn't like I, tricked him or stuck a mic under me or let it go for a year and a half while I built up a million dollar case. I just said, Hey, I want to leave. And I was too embarrassed to say, cause you're a creep. Right. Cause why would I be impolite to an asshole? Right. Like, you know, <laughs> right. I don't want to hurt his feelings. So I'm like, I'd like to leave. And then, um, then he made it very difficult. And then once after I left, I was like, I'm going to play this. Yeah. Let's see what happens. And, uh, immediately, you know, there was some press, but then all the press was shut down. Like I did interviews that never saw the light of day. And then I realized, oh, he hired one of those million dollar PR cleanup companies that go to the other journalists and say, don't write about this or this, or we'll give you this if you don't write about that. So that was an education where it's like, don't run that story. And now you hear so much more about that with 
the Ronan Farrow story. And there was another story that came out about something in the LA times too, where, where one of the female writers, her story was shut down. Like the editor is like, Oh, I don't think it's strong enough or that type of thing. Cause it's really just one person's opinion that says yes or no. So that was really interesting. And then in the end, because of the press and the people that listen to my show, which I have a lot of college kids, they realized he was a UC regent, which means you sit on the board of all the UC schools in California. And there's only about 10 of them and they're appointed by the governor and they, they can never be fired. I've always wondered what a UC regent was because I always so hear you say that. Yeah. So that's what it was. So it's a very, very powerful position. I mean, they can grant money, they can say yes, they can give people tenure, they can change policy on campus, they can you know, prosecute someone for sexually harassing a student or not, they can make all these decisions. So, you know, I don't think he fit the profile of someone that should be in 2018 sitting on a board of college students. Right. But I let the kids take that and they protested and they had his face in front of like literally picket signs. And again, it didn't get a ton of press because he's a powerful person in LA worth $350 million. But he eventually still couldn't be fired, but he eventually chose to step down. And then because of that, they changed the policy that, yes, UC Regents now can be asked to leave, told to leave. See? So I actually yeah. did change policy, but am I on the cover of Life magazine or whatever it was? <laughs> no. I mean, I got nothing from it except from the people that listen to the podcast. Nobody else knows about the story or cares. You know, but that's what I did. I But still, I, I walk around and men go, oh, Heather tried to sue Norm Pattis. And I go, no, I didn't. I never filed a lawsuit. It's not an alleged comment. It was on tape. He knew it was being taped. I didn't do one thing deceitful. I didn't want to sue for a million dollars. I didn't feel I deserved a million dollars. I deserved a little bit of money for the my attorney's fees and for my stress, but not that kind of money. And I wasn't going to be that person that did that. And so I went the other route. And, and the other route was just sharing it. And I just let the chips fall where they may. And I was like, but because of that, I it has hurt my career. I was a regular on Adam Carolla's show. I couldn't be on that anymore. I couldn't be on Joe Coy's show. I couldn't, I've never been on a podcast one show since. It's because I was banned, just like you hear Kathy Griffin saying, I'm banned, I'm banned, I'm banned. You do get banned from things. And so I was like, well, it was all worth it. Absolutely. I wouldn't have changed one thing. I really wouldn't have. It all worked out. And sometimes you have regrets and you're like, I should have done this. I should, I mean, there was a time where I was like, I should have just kept my mouth shut and stayed there. It was so stressful. But in the end, like I always say, you know, sometimes it takes a couple years to show themselves in that they happened in the right way and they happened all the right reasons. And there's so I think a lot of people have regrets, but if you stick with it long enough, chances are you won't have a regret. You'll realize, you know what I did. I did that knowing that this might be the cause and, Two years later, I'm so glad I did it. So to have the freedom of, of being able to say and do whatever I want on my show is is really great because they, they do edit people and they do make sure that you don't have full freedom at a place like that. So I'm glad that I do. And so when going forward, my husband manages all that stuff and he made sure that in my contract that I decide the content and I can do and say whatever I want. So I think there isn't one person in television that has that, that's for sure. So... That's pretty freeing. I was going to ask you, speaking of your husband, Peter, I was going to ask you, how is it working so closely with him? I mean, he, he is the subject of a lot of your uh, jokes and comedy. But, uh-huh. but in, in seriousness, how is it to work so closely with your husband? Because I don't know how I would do in that situation. It's, you know what? It's very difficult. 
It's very hard. <laughs> yeah. And the only thing that I can laugh about it is that my parents worked together as realtors, but they didn't until about 17, 18 years into the marriage, which is close to the timeline of Peter and I, because my mom got into real estate and then my dad left advertising and was like, there's a bunch of idiots in this business, real estate, I can make us huge. And he was done with the corporate world. And they did. They became these the first husband-wife type realtors in our area that uh, utilized bus benches and shopping carts and all these things. My dad had all these marketing ideas. And so we made more money, but it was not a pleasant home to be in. And so my sister and I would always say, we're never going to work with our husbands. We're never going to work with our husbands. And my sister, who is an attorney, works with her husband. And so do I. <laughs> so... You know, it's hard. It's just, there's definitely benefits to it, but it's just, it's just hard. It's just hard spending that much time together. It's hard not separating work from any kind of romance and you constantly have to work at it. You constantly have to go, okay, this worked, it didn't work this. And it hasn't been that long. So it's like, it's hard, but again, we've never been more successful. I have more free time. I I would be so offended all the time. Like, why did you say that? That that's not true. You hurt my feelings, and you shut up. You can't do it better. You know. Yeah. I, I look. If you can avoid it, I say people should avoid it. <laughs> I mean, I really do. That's my recommendation. I really do. But sometimes something presents itself, and it just works out that way. But I mean, there's lots of articles and stuff about people that have gotten through it and come up with certain things and. I'll be the first to say, yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, I'm not going to say it's not, but it also can be really fun and really great. And I like that the kids are involved the same way I was involved with my parents' business. You know, they know about it. They joke about it. I feel like as a family, we're just very close in that respect. They understand what we do. They appreciate the work that I do because I see it. It's not like I'm just going off to some office and where some kids don't know what their dad does or whatever, you know, or their mom oh, yeah. does. Like, I do like that they're like part of it and it's fun and you're know, kind of teaching them along the way of certain things. So that part's good. Um, when I've been to your live shows, how do you handle the, and this is like a complete left of what we were just talking about, yeah. but how do you handle these drunken girls in the audience? Now, I have been a drunken girl in the audience, but I don't stand up and scream and express my opinion. So I'm wondering, how do you how do you handle that? Because that, to me, as an audience member, is annoying. But I can't imagine if you're on the stage how it's annoying so, that must be. Okay, because I'm, I would like to say I think I'm a codependent performer in that I'm very conscious of what it takes, especially with women who are moms, to come out on a Friday night and come see my show. So um, I know sometimes when they get so drunk, it's like they've been breastfeeding for three years. This is the first <laughs> time that they like got cute and had some drinks. They started at five. Yeah, they got a babysitter. Yeah, now they got a babysitter. They're not driving. Now they're wasted. So it is really annoying. And I've since tried to kind of warn my audience, like, I'm sorry, you will be asked to leave because... Not only does it distract me, but it distracts the other people who also got a sitter, who also have been breastfeeding for three years. Like they <laughs> deserve a good time too. So thank you for bringing it up because I'll, maybe I'll remind people coming up with my new tour, like to, hey, take it easy and have fun, but you don't want to be thrown out. You don't want to wake up the next. I mean, I've gotten people that have written me really heartfelt apologies. They, they wake up like everybody does after a horrible hangover where you're like, fuck, you know, what was I thinking? Yeah. And we've all been there and someone who loves to drink 
I've had my regrettable mornings many of times. So I don't want to be judgy, but yeah, it, it is hard and it really fucks me up. Like I really feel bad. I can remember all the shows last year and there weren't a lot, but maybe like four that it happened at where someone had to leave. And I, and the girl has a present for me and she's stumbling over as she's getting asked to leave and she's giving me the bottle. I mean, it's just, oh. it's just so awful. That's awful. So I, so I tell the clubs, I go, I don't have anybody in my audience that's going to yell at me, like show your tits and you're not funny. I don't have that. <laughs> Everybody here bought a ticket cause they know me, but I do get people that are a little too excited to see me. Or the other thing that's annoying is I'll start doing a bit or a joke or something and because they know me so well, they're like, Drake didn't do, Drake, did, you know, and like yelling out my kids' names. And, you know, like, I'm like, there's 50% of the audience doesn't know this story or hasn't heard it. Or this one girl's like, that didn't happen. And everything in my life did happen. So then I was annoyed. I'm like, okay, first of all, you think you know me so well. And then you're telling me that the story didn't fucking happen. Bitch, yes, it did. You know, like, <laughs> you, like just shut up. Like, don't try to. And then it gets me conscious, like, wait a minute. You know, is my stuff not fresh enough that this girl, like, knows the story? And so I, I do now really make sure that the club knows to keep the people quiet. I have my opener remind them to be quiet. And now since you brought it up, I'm going to bring it up a few times on the podcast in the next couple of months because that, but that's what happens, you know, and I've been there too. I remember the, I hadn't gone out for years and I started working in Chelsea and it was such a drinking young atmosphere. I mean, I remember we went to Vegas and she was performing and it was like within a few months of me being on the show, I never experienced bottle service. I mean, and here I am like 37 and I was wasted, wasted, threw up all night just ruined my Vegas trip. And, you know, I was so excited for the Vegas trip. It was just Peter and I, my kids were really little at the time. So I know what that's like. And it's just a huge bummer. And you're so mad at yourself. So yeah, it's good to avoid that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, my friend and I are coming and we have our VIP tickets for your stand up in DC. Um, And I believe we're coming the Saturday night you're here. I think it's the 19th. So we will not get drunk and shout out any answers or try to finish your joke for you. <laughs> please do. Please have, dr- please have drinks. But we all know at this age, you know, this isn't 18, but that's what I'm saying. It's usually, it's usually the girl that's like 28, 30, and she's usually a mom. And it's just her first night to rip it in two years. I mean, that's what, <laughs> that, that is, the, that is who is going to get too drunk that night and regret it. You know, it's oh, not someone that like regularly goes out. So at the end of my podcast, I always ask my guests, what podcast are you listening to? Or do you have any you could recommend? Or do you ever even get a chance to listen to podcasts? You know, it's interesting because I'm because I was at Wondery, I interviewed Christopher, who did the LA Times podcast, Dirty John. Ooh. And my uh, person who owned my podcast company was like, I'd already done this thing called Serial Dater, where I, my friend found out she was dating a guy very much like a Dirty John, not to that level of like, Violence, but definitely like a con man. Okay. And we, she found out that in it that um, he borrowed money from her. He wasn't paying her back, but there were like four other women. And I put it on my show and I have people writing me about him all the time still. I'm not all the time, but occasionally about this guy. So he's like, there's going to be this, this amazing podcast about this real guy named Dirty John. Would you interview the writer? So I knew the whole story from interviewing the writer. And what's really juicy about that writer is that he had written an amazing story in the LA times that I think will also be made into a show. Cause he told me it was, which was about a, a PTA mom 
that basically framed a teacher for having drugs and tried to ruin her life because the teacher said that her son was a little bit slow in coming out of the classroom, meaning like he was just dilly-dallying, not like he was slow mentally, but this woman just was so insane. And it's an incredible, it's just like a Dirty John type of story. I mean, like you just can't believe the elements of it. So I was already familiar with his work as a journalist. So I was like, oh my God, let me talk to you. And, um, and then the Dirty John started and I really didn't listen to it. Now I've been watching the series and I'm just, it's my favorite thing to watch. Like I'm so sad it's almost over. I know that people are annoyed by Connie Britton's acting, but I know that's how the woman acted. And I know that the girls had super annoying, like Southern California voices. Yes. yes. And, um, and then my sister, Shannon, met this girl who had dated Dirty John when he was living in the RV in Cathedral City. Like wow. she was a Match.com date. And, uh, and he actually blew her off because she's like, I don't think I was rich enough for him. Like, um, and so I'm very fascinated. So I might go back. I'm kind of kind of want to go back and listen to it now that and a lot of people on my social media pages and stuff are going back and listening to it. So I do like stuff like that. I do like crime stuff, occasionally sword and scale. I like. Yes. Um, so once in a while, especially for like a road trip and stuff, but I am so busy with my own and I do always listen to my own before the final OK post it. Yeah. You know, that that's a few hours out of my day as well as producing it and doing it. Yeah. So there just isn't that much time left. And then I, I talk about TV shows a lot. So when I have free time, I'm kind of watching the shows and in watching the shows, I feel like that's work. So, you know, there's so many good ones and there's so much to choose from. And it's really great that people can um, express themselves like that. You know, it's almost like listening is like reading and that you really escape except you know with just listening versus tv and reading you can get other stuff done which is so great which is why i think they're so popular you can clean you can work out you know you you can be more productive than if you're watching tv yeah i do i do a lot of podcast listening in my car yes driving and it really makes it go by and it's like and what's kind of cool is just like when you read a book on a vacation you kind of associate that vacation with that book and that's kind of cool about the podcast too because you take a long road trip, you'll kind of go, Oh, I remember I listened to that whole thing. Yeah, going there. It's kind of is part of your memory, too. So it's great. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to tell you that this has been amazing and such a dream for me, because as a new podcaster, it's great to have these wonderful, funny female podcasters to listen to like you. And so I appreciate you taking your time and talking to me. I mean, it's it's really great. And well, thank you. I, and I will see you in person when you're here. But tell all my uh, listeners where they can find all about you on social media and also about Juicy Scoop. So if you just go to heathermcdonald.net, there's all my dates there. As, as I said, I'm coming to D.C. and New York, San Antonio. I'm in L.A., lots of Sacramento, lots of more dates coming up. So you go to heathermcdonald.net. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at heathermcdonald, which is also very easy because I post a lot about that. And when you go to heathermcdonald.net, you'll see the podcast, but it's called Juice Scoop with Heather McDonald. Of course, you can subscribe and listen for free like everybody. And then, yeah, and then I'll see everybody. If you, For your DC listeners, I will see you at the Arlington Draft House on January 18th and 19th for shows. Um, I've not been there, but I heard it's a really cool place. It's really intimate. So that's what you want as a stand-up venue. It is a cool place. It's a really cool place. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you very, very much. And I look Thank forward you. to seeing you later this month. Okay, thanks so much. I look forward to it. Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. Bye.